is my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Our Team Clark free advice line at clark.com slash CAC has been receiving a ton of calls about car repair lately. And that's no surprise because of the fact that people are holding on to their cars longer because of the vehicle shortage. I'm going to give you my best advice on how to prevent car repair nightmares and try my best to help you out if you're already stuck in one. Also, if you're a small business owner, you know you got ripped off on so many things, especially the banks cheat small business owners. But there are new companies emerging that can save you potentially big money on your business accounts. So speaking of people who feel shortchanged, people who feel ripped off, people who feel cheated, sometimes justified, other times not, when your car breaks down, I mean, I think about how awful an experience it is if you don't have a lot of money, it goes to the repair shop, they tell you it's going to be who knows how much money to repair that vehicle. You may even pay that money, get the vehicle back, and you get it back, still has the same troubles as it had before you took it in. I mean, it's a common refrain. And we have tracked since 1993 the complaints that we hear about at our Team Clark Consumer Action Center. And do you know that car repair has never been further down the list than third in a month? Many months, it's the number one most complained about thing we hear about. It is a terrible, terrible problem. And so many of us live in communities where we're completely car dependent. We don't have our car. How do we get to work? How do we get our kids? How do we go shopping? I mean, it's a terrible, terrible problem. So I want you to know that there are certain strategies that help, but most of them require advanced work. Number one, I like mono-brand independent repair shops. You may not know what that expression means, but in most any midsize or large community in the United States, There are now independent repair shops that specialize in a particular brand of vehicle or very limited brands. There are independents that only work on Toyotas, independents only work on Mazdas, um, Hondas, any of the uh, Asian brands pretty much. There are shops that specialize. There are shops that specialize just in Hyundai and Kia, which are um, sibling brands. You go to a Toyota independent shop, they also work on Lexus and Honda on Acura because a lot of people aren't aware that when you see a brand like Lexus, Acura, Infiniti, Nissan, uh, Genesis for Hyundai, that those are marketing brands that share either a common platform or even many common parts with the brand that is the main one. And so these independent shops, these monolines, do those as well. Um, With European brands, 
there tend to be shops that specialize in German ones. So there, there'll be BMW, Mercedes, Audi shops. There are various situations like this where you can go to a place that only works on that brand. Not that common with Ford, GM, and Chrysler vehicles. It seems to be a different aftermarket repair business for those brands. But with any brand, what I want you to do is I want you to have a relationship with a mechanic for routine maintenance, not when something goes wrong, you're looking for a shotgun marriage with some <laughs> shop. I want you to, to find that shop, that mechanic you can trust ahead of time. I have a beef with traditional car dealer repair shops. And that is, when you go to a traditional car dealer repair shop, you do not get to talk to the mechanic at most dealerships who will actually be working on your vehicle. You don't even know who the mechanic's going to be. You don't know if that mechanic was last in their class or first in their class learning to be a mechanic. And you are presented at a dealership with a service writer. That is an individual, maybe commissioned, maybe not, who writes up the ticket for the repair on your vehicle. And if it's under warranty, the stakes are much lower at a dealership because you're getting warranty work done. But when it's coming out of your own pocket, I want you to know how the game's played. So you can go in and say, you know, my car is having a problem where it's occasionally stalling out um, when I'm and stop and go traffic. What you want the service ticket to say is exactly what you said. You want it to say that the car is stalling out and stop and go traffic. So that when they do whatever repair they're doing, if it doesn't fix the problem with the car stalling and stop and go traffic, you come back and say, hey, you charged me $800 to do blah, blah, blah. It did not fix the problem with the car stalling and stop and go traffic. What they're all trained to do is not to write the symptoms you're having, but instead to write a remedy that you sign your name to. So they'll say, do tune-up, check timing, whatever. And you sign your name to that, and then they bill you for that. And then you come back when the car is still stalling and they say, hey, well, that'll be something else because, you know, here's the things you said you wanted us to do here and you signed your name to this. Uh-uh. You always want the service ticket to say wherever you go what problem your vehicle is having, not their solution to it that they will then supposedly do and bill you for and then they say they got no responsibility for the fact they didn't fix whatever problem you're having. Uh-uh. So you do not sign your name to a service ticket unless it says what the problem is you're having. Second, you need, if you're the one paying, you need to have a dollar limit what you're agreeing to on that ticket. And virtually every state there's what's known as mechanic lien laws that if you have not restricted on a service ticket what they are authorized to do and what the cost you're authorizing is 
they can run up a bill to whatever dollar amount they want, whatever amount, and then they are allowed under state law to hold your vehicle hostage until you pay whatever sum they dreamt up. So that service ticket needs to say, I authorize repair expenses up to X dollars. We had a complaint recently from someone who called in to the Team Clark Consumer Action Center who had gone to a shop to have a transmission repair. And they were told it would be X number of dollars, but nothing on the ticket said that. So by the time they call us, the transmission is in pieces on the floor, the vehicle completely unusable, and they say, oh, no, that's going to be blah, blah, blah. It's not going to be what we told you originally. Yeah. And you were their prisoner. So part of this is about trust. And that's why I go back to the very first thing I told you. Let's wind it back. That I want you to make sure that you find a place for routine stuff that you have a relationship, if you can, with an individual mechanic where he or she is the one you know, knows your vehicle, you have a sense of trust with them, and occasionally that trust will be misplaced, but most of the time you'll be okay. And then when the chips are down, that your vehicle needs a major repair, that you got that person there for you. There are some things you should look at in how you pay for a repair, credit card only, how you qualify a mechanic as being a level of quality um, training that you want to have. There are some steps if you're new to a town and you don't know how to find a mechanic. I've got steps how you can find one. But what's so important is that you have that pre-existing relationship. So let's say you haven't done any of that. And by the way, I explain all these steps on my guide to how to find a good mechanic on Clark.com. But let's say you're past too late and you notice that suddenly there's something really wrong with your car, Krista. And you don't have that relationship. And you're trying to find someone. The stakes are much higher. And let's say you blow it. You even do the ticket right and all that. And the vehicle goes to a shop and they're not getting around to it or they're not getting things done or you're having whatever problem and your car now is not drivable. This is the most painful step, but the one I recommend. If you need to, you have your vehicle towed to another shop. You don't stay a hostage to that shop. And if you have to pay them some kind of fee for the hours they did, but they haven't done the big work, pay them that. But I don't want you to put yourself in a position that we hear about every single day, and that is that they got my car. I don't know what to do. What you do is you get your car back and you move it somewhere else If the place you went, if you can tell the repair experience is going to be a train wreck, you get that vehicle back. I know that was very, very negative, 
But car repair is something that is a tense moment in people's lives. And we don't hear the good experiences. <laughs> we only hear, nobody calls says, hey, I had the greatest time ever getting a new engine in my car. No. So I have to address this, unfortunately, from that negative standpoint because that's where people end up, unfortunately, too many times with a car. And you got some car stuff for me, I too. I do. This is from Indra. I have a 2020 Chevy Bolt with 25,000 miles on it. It has been recently recalled because of battery malfunction. What are my options? Should I wait for it to get fixed or do the buyback? Could you guide me? Indra, rule number one, if you have a Chevy Bolt, park it outside, not in a garage because of the battery problem. GM has worked out with their battery supplier it's a Korean company, that they are going to absorb the, uh, I think it's a billion and a half dollar cost of replacing the batteries. You will have a brand new safe set of batteries that'll be like the original 25,000. You do a lot of driving. A lot of driving. You said 2020 with 25,000, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of driving. Anyway, at least for me. So... I would park the bolt outside till you work your way up the list. They replace your battery pack. And then you've got the most expensive component of that bolt will be brand spanking new and safe. And this is from Simon in Florida. I am the original owner of a 2010 Honda Insight, and it has been a great investment. However, the hybrid battery is going bad. With the current car market, should I spend $2,500 to replace the battery or look at getting a new car? Replace the battery, Simon. $2,500 is money you will spend one of two ways. The battery is degraded. Your trade-in or sale of that vehicle will suffer in the marketplace by that amount or more. On the other hand, you've been thrilled with your Insight. You put the 2500 in it, you now have one that has market value when you sell it later. More market value, obviously, than we have with the dead battery pack, the degraded battery pack. And you can continue driving it. So you compare typical monthly car payment. Is it 700 something a month now, I think? I mean, you make that wow. back. <laughs> At worst, you make it back in four months let's say, for that battery pack, I'd do it. Larry in Georgia says, I purchased a monthly car wash pass under the impression I was just for that one month. The charge kept coming on my statement. I changed debit cards and the charge appeared again. The bank said that when you agree to that one-time charge, that it doesn't matter if the card you used is now different. The bank would not reverse the charge saying they can do this. Yeah, so uh, first of all, in this case, you would have more legal rights to dispute if you were using a credit card than a debit card, but you'd still lose ultimately whether you were using, because I always talk about how much better a credit card is, you would lose in either case because the terms and conditions of those really cheap unlimited car wash passes is you are a member in perpetuity until you choose to cancel the membership under the notice provisions required for signing up for that car wash subscription. 
So depending on the car wash subscription you signed up for, it may require a minimum three months. It may be month to month. It may require a 30-day notice. You may have to do it um, in writing. You may have to go by certified mail. Uh, there are so many different wrinkles to that. It's like all these other subscription things that are so easy to sign up for. And I don't know if you go to these automatic car washes with your car, do you, Krista? No. All right. So when you go to them, there will be a thing at many of them that will allow you instantly to buy a monthly subscription for car washes. It'll say, hey, this car wash is $6, but you can have unlimited for $17.95 or $24.95 or $19.95 or whatever. Just press here. Well, I've never pressed it because I've never bought one of these, but I wonder how in the world do you actually know what the terms and conditions are? I just want you to know that they all work the same way, that you are obligated forever until you follow their procedure to cancel. So just be aware. And, you know, I want to say something, Larry, and I don't in any way mean to, this is not picking on you, but your situation points out, and we had another recently about something else where somebody was being billed month after mm-hmm. month. You have to look at your statements every single month credit card, debit card, checking account. you got to look at your statements because so many things we do now involve some form of ongoing billing and you forfeit your rights to do anything about it when you don't notice and month after month you could be paying this, that, or the other and it's money you could use in your life that just disappears. So I'm glad you've brought the pain to a stop with the car wash and I find I'd never go enough times a month to make the ongoing subscription work and I just pay the pain of the cost of each time when I go. Now if you're a small business owner you know one talk about pain the way the banks rip you off on business accounts And I want to talk about how that market is offering you new opportunities to avoid the ripoffs, and that's straight ahead along with your questions. In industries that are stuck in the way they do things, and generally it will be anti-consumer kind of practices, it's always change from outside that disrupts things, is Anyone who has listened to me for any period of time, you know one of the industries I've always griped about is the Monopoly cable monsters. Used to be with their TV packages, but now they're almost irrelevant in TV. Why? Because change came from outside with streaming. Now the cable monster eats up your wallet with what you have to pay for monthly internet. But now again, Change is coming from outside, from way outside, from various satellite competitors that are coming into the market, the cell phone carriers offering their own internet service, other providers, independents offering something known as fixed wireless internet. And so change disrupts 
but it always comes from outside. The nation's banks, of all the people that they cause problems for, it's small businesses. They have always treated small business owners terribly with extremely high fees and ever-changing, hard-to-understand policies. And this is yet another market that is going through the early stages of disruption, which will get you out from under all the garbage fees and hassles that you deal with as a small business dealing with a traditional bank. For years, any of a number of small businesses have moved their banking to brokerage houses that have tended to offer much better deals on business banking than you ever got from a traditional bank. But now the fintechs are really causing huge disruption. And there's a company called Cabbage, which is K-A-B-B-A-G-E, used to be an independent, and it was bought by American Express. And American Express at many times is an ally of the giant banks, and at other times they're mortal enemy. Here's a case of them being mortal enemy. Because Cabbage has launched Cabbage Checking for small businesses, and it has no monthly fees at all, unlike the garbage fees you're having to pay the bank right now for your small business. And they pay interest. It's really a teaser interest rate, but right now they're paying 1.10% on your money sitting in the account. Now, you compare that to what the banks do, which is basically they pay you nothing and charge you fee after fee after fee after fee, and then they charge you a fee on that fee because that's how the banks roll. So know that this is an opportunity that is available in the marketplace, not just cabbage. There are others that are fintechs, which are um, non-traditional banks, let's call them that, that are online only, that are offering these checking accounts that are really, really great fair deals for you as a business. And that bank you're dealing with Give them the heave-ho, because have they really been there for you? Do they really care about you? Well, one standard you know, when you as a small business person go to the bank to try to borrow money, it takes about a year and a day at a big bank to get them to make a decision if they're going to make you a loan, and they're going to pierce the corporate veil. They're going to make you sign a personal guarantee for the money that they take their sweet time lending you as a small business. So I know I harsh a lot on the banks, but there's a reason. They have been a very inward industry, and they've done what they've done, and that's what they do. And it is an industry that needs what's now happening to cable. It needs the outside disruption so that they can really learn what it means to serve a customer, whether that is an individual consumer or a business. We've got some questions here. 
This one is from Dave in Georgia. He says, are there offers you receive after buying a home for mortgage life insurance protection programs something worth looking into? Or are they a scam? So they're not a scam, but they're garbage. And this is like, you want to throw me more of a softball (laughs) where I could talk smack about the stinking rotten banks again? No. Okay. So mortgage life insurance, what's known as croak insurance behind your back in the banking business, is such a ripoff. So here's the story. They tell you, you know, protect your most valuable asset. Buy this insurance. So if you did die, your family will be protected and they will not have to move from the family home. That's kind of the pitch. But what they don't tell you and lay out for you is you are buying an insurance policy that protects the bank that the bank knows that when you die, they're not going to be caught up in the estate or anything like that. The loan gets paid off. The bank knows they're good. They got their money. And yes, your heirs would have the house without a mortgage. What they also don't tell you is they charge such outrageous premiums on these offers so the bank can get its huge kickbacks from the insurance provider that you're paying typically 10 times to 20 times regular premiums to insure the bank instead of your loved ones. So what you do is if you're worried about expenses for your loved ones, if you were to die unexpectedly, you have plain, simple, level term insurance. And then your survivors can use the money for whatever the most appropriate thing is after you pass away, which may not be paying off that mortgage right away. The money may be needed for any of a number of purposes over the years. And level term insurance is dirt, dirt, dirt cheap. The only time, the only time ever that anyone should ever buy this garbage mortgage life insurance from the lender is if you know you won't medically underwrite for real insurance and you are worried about the financial well-being of your survivors, this insurance is so unbelievably expensive that nobody even bothers typically to see if you're healthy or not because the numbers are so in their favor on it. And that would be the only circumstance where you would buy it. This question is from Teresa in Virginia. I am 60 years old and own my home mortgage-free. Congratulations. I would like to move near my daughter. At my age, is it better to rent or purchase a home? I'm in good health and still working. So, Teresa, I would um, rent at first, which is my, that's my standard go-to. Anytime you move somewhere else, you don't know if, um, where you would move initially near your daughter would be where you'd really want to settle near your daughter. You might find that maybe um, you miss too much where you live right now in Virginia and you want to go back there. So renting first is kind of like, uh, you know, a kid with training wheels on a bike. Gives you a chance to check out an area first 
And then when you're really comfortable, you can go ahead and buy. Now, the other thing right now, the housing market is unusually inflated around the country. And if you did decide you want to buy a place, I want you to have a 10-year purchase window in mind. 10 years or longer that you plan to own that house. And that's a long enough cycle that today's pumped up prices, even if there's uh, some softness in prices moving through the next decade, you'll still be fine in a 10-year cycle, a shorter cycle, not as much. And from Richard in Pennsylvania, great tip in the podcast about keeping $20 stashed in your car. Here's another tip. I keep a $20 bill folded up inside my cell phone case in the event I forget my wallet, but remember to bring my phone. And who forgets their phone? I also keep a note in there with ways to contact me in case an honest person were to find my lost phone. So Richard, I love your suggestion. And I got to tell you, somebody else, after I talked about my emergency stash of cash, made the same suggestion as well because cell phones are with us pretty much all the time. I like your other thing about having the contact information in there. If if you absentmindedly leave your phone somewhere and an honest person finds it, most people are honest people. You've given them a way to contact you. I love all those suggestions. And having a small amount of cash is a really useful thing because you never know anymore when the Russians or Chinese or some other state actor are going to attempt to bring down our banking systems. And cash will be really useful while it takes time to get things up and running. And I want you to know, if we didn't get to your question or you want one-on-one advice... You know, that is a free service of our show. You can reach our Team Clark Consumer Action Center for one-on-one advice Monday through Friday from 10 in the morning Eastern to 4 in the afternoon Eastern. The number to call for one-on-one advice, 636-49-CLARK.